Good morning. Today is Thursday, September 22nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thanks for listening. Whether it's over the air, online, through an app, it doesn't matter. I'm glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Just so you know, Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you get a moment, go visit them at lhfmissions.org to learn more about all the good work they do for the kingdom. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. In fact, tomorrow and every Friday, I start the show by pulling from the listener mailbag. I'm going to share some of your comments and answer your questions live on the air. Uh, If you don't want me to do that, just say, hey, don't put me on the air, but I hope you will. So be sure to tune in for that. Okay, well, today's topic is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's the last third of the chapter. So these are going to be verses 25 through 40. We covered the first third and the second third over the past few episodes. But now the apostle, who has been since urging the people to remain as they are, for instance, last time it was about the context of circumcision and slavery. Now he turns his attention to those who are not married. What should they do? Well, interestingly, he says, I have no command from the Lord, but he gives advice as an apostle. And yet for us, this is Holy Scripture. How do we understand these things? Well, to help us navigate and apply this text, I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Reverend Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor Dieterding, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It's great to be back, and thank you so much for that introduction. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, really looking forward to today's topic here on the unmarried and the widowed, and uh, uh, trying to to kind of parse our way through what Paul is saying here concerning um, where he was really at that time in place, you know, and where we are today and how does this relate to us? That's, that's going to be the challenge I think of this text today. Yeah. You and I are both married. So, you know, this wouldn't have necessarily applied to us in that day, except he says some things that are, that could be perceived as challenging to those who value marriage. Now we know that St. Paul values marriage, even though he himself remained single, but some of the language here, it, it causes us to pause and say, why is he saying these things? Essentially, he says, you know, if, if, if you're not married, don't get married. And if you are married, well, then stay married. But there's a lot more to it than that. And we're going to we're going to talk about that. It's been about a month since you and I have been on the air together. So I'm really happy to have you back on the show. Um, before we dive in, just how are things down in Fort Myers, Florida? That's uh, as I said last time we were on the air. I, I love vacationing down there. You get to live there all the time, but I'm sure it's not always a vacation. Uh, how are things going for you there on the coast of Florida? Well, I have to say it, it's it's really hot. And, and of course, I'm sure there's a lot of people that uh, have been to Florida that know uh, in the summertime here, it is really hot. But it's been hotter than, than usual. We've had uh, mostly above 
uh, in normal temperatures of this time of year. So it's a little hotter than what we've had even in the past here over the last few years. So it's, it's, uh, the people are just going to start coming down too, uh, starting this week. Actually, I already can see a few members who are making their way down, and uh, and by the time they get here in October, if this doesn't cool down a little bit, they're going to get a little taste of what life is like here in the summertime. So, um, but it's it's still beautiful, and and of course, uh, people always cherish a, a little feel of summer coming down from the uh, early snows and winds and cold. Uh, from the north, so it's always a it's always a pleasure, I'm sure, for those who come down. Yeah, you know, especially if you're up north. But you know, it's been warm up here too. I'm in Minnesota, and it's been a pretty uh, unusually hot season. I hear that from folks, and then I also hear that it's been a little less snow over the past few years. And so we're all curious, at least on our mm. end of the country, uh, what you know, what what does the winter hold? Is it going to be less snow because of this? Is it going to be somehow more? It's you, know, you just never know. But you know what's amazing about the weather, and I, I just love this, is it reminds us that God is in control. There's nothing mm-hmm. we can do to change the weather. Mm-hmm. And every time we try, uh, say, you know, seeding clouds and these other things, it's always a mil- miserable failure. God is in control. And so whether it's extra hot or extra cold, it just sends us back to the Lord saying, you know, Lord, thy will be done. What else can you say? So maybe, uh, so maybe whenever they come down, maybe it will feel cooler down here than it's been so hot out there in the Midwest. I, I've heard the same from different places throughout the Midwest and even in the Northeast. You know, so a lot of rain up there though in uh, the Northeast. It sounds like right now. So yeah, yeah I mean, there I, I haven't talked to too many people up there, but they're having some unusual weather, as you said, a lot of rain. We could use the rain right here in the sure. middle of the country. Uh, but we're getting our fair share just every now and then, just as much as I suppose we need. The farmers would always argue that they need more, except well, when they get it, then they argue they need less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, it's kind of interesting. But again, we just we just rely on the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I tell you what, we're going to dig into this text today. But uh, as always, I'd like to ask you to start our time together in prayer. OK, let's be, let's begin in prayer. Lord God in heaven, we, we uh, first of all want to lift up all the husbands and wives that are uh, out there listening and those that are within our congregations, uh, that you would uh, continue to bless them in that relationship, to enjoy the gift that you give uh, to those who are married. Uh, those gifts um, are everything from uh, the special love that the husband and wife has for one another to uh, the children that you bless them with. We pray that you would uh, strengthen families, especially in a very trying time as we're going through in our world today. Give them the extra strength, patience, understanding, and care that they need to continue to grow and stay united in their family as they seek to follow you, to serve you, and to serve our neighbors. We pray also today as we hear your word that uh, we can understand that word in the context of what was going on in Paul's day, but also uh, in how it applies and, and how it can connect to our lives uh, today. Bless us again, dear Lord, by your word, uh, always coming to us through your spirit. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So I will just put some text right out here on the table so that we can start diving into it. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 25. 
Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as those who were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now that's ending with verse 31. There's plenty more to come. But yeah, concerning the betrothed. So the Greek here is parthenos, right? That's virgins. But, you know, basically people who aren't married. Right. And and he says, I have no command from the Lord. But then he gives us his judgment. You know, pastor, you know, we as we as pastors often will give our judgment, our wise judgment, whenever the Bible is unclear about a specific, you know, teaching, right? Christ has taught uh-huh. neither for or against something, and we'll give our wise judgment. And certainly it's not binding on anybody except that, you know, it complies with the Holy Scriptures. That seems to be what Paul's doing here. Uh, but as I mentioned at the top of the show, I feel like we're in sort of a a a quandary because he's also being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words down, and we consider them Scripture and therefore the Word of God. So how can it be both ways? How can he have no command from the Lord and yet it be you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit? And then, of course, take us through or begin to take us through about what's going on in Corinth here. I think, I think we also need to recognize that Paul himself is not married. You know, So this is coming from one who is not married. Uh, and has not uh, enjoyed that gift that some men do and and women do, and uh, so you know he's going to have a an opinion also really from I think that perspective that perception uh, because he can see around him he can see what's going on in marriages and in families that he is in contact with and who have supported him in his ministry and so forth, and um, he he can see that there could be additional strain and stress, just as there is when you start any other relationship, but especially one where you're bound together and you're there all the time, all the time together. Uh, and then also uh, when children come along and, and then they're there, you know, just it can add to the stress. We have to understand too, that during this time, uh, Paul is, uh, you know, starting these churches. C- Corinth is a is relatively young church, uh, one of his starts that he had. And here he is knowing that they are under a lot of pressure as well because not everybody's embracing Christianity. And uh, they're also, they have no clue as far as when the end times are actually coming. So they know that Christ is coming again. Um, there's always been some anticipation that that might hap- happen soon uh, as they uh, understood uh, their relationship with their Lord. So I think he's just looking in, into it as you know logical terms in the sense of uh, you know if you if you're going to uh, consider marriage uh, because of the present distress and that's what he says in verse 26 there because of the tr- the times uh, you might want to reconsider doing that 
Um, and he's pretty strong about it too. I mean, he is pretty strong about this probably is not the time to seek a wife. And he says it to the point of do not seek a wife if you're already uh, free from, from this institution of marriage. So yeah, so there's a lot going on here. That's for sure. There really is, you know, in my research, it seems that in Corinth at this time, there may have very well been a food shortage, you know, that could be when it says the present distress, it could also be rendered impending distress. Mm-hmm. So something that's either happening right now and getting worse or something that is easily seen by everybody on the horizon. So if if it were this very practical, you know, there is going to be a food shortage and I want you to focus on your your own faithfulness, right? Because don't forget, this is the Corinthian church and there's a lot of stuff going on that Paul is trying to correct. So he says, yeah, you know, if you're if you're married, I mean, don't worry about it. But if you're not getting married, as you so rightly said, yeah, maybe reconsider that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, he does say that the appointed time has grown very short in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So before we get into those very difficult words that he says after that, just going back to this idea of the pending or present distress, it makes me think that perhaps the reference there isn't so much to like a, a famine getting ready to hit Corinth and more to the types of things that Jesus said would precede his return. Nation rising against nation, kingdom mm-hmm. against kingdom. Uh, you know, this idea that there will be earthquakes and various famines and pestilences. You know, these are things that Jesus said would be signs of the end. And the end has been coming for 2,000 years at this point almost. And so we see, well, okay, so is Paul talking about present distress in terms of worldly temporal distress? Or, as you said, is he saying, you know, I, I've experienced what it's like to strive to be a Christian in a world that's so beset by sin as a single person. And I see some value in that, and I recommend it. But he would not, of course, be so bold as to say no one should get married because the Lord says not to, because A, the Lord didn't say that. Our Lord blessed marriage at the wedding in Cana. It's the means through which God engrows his kingdom and brings new people into the world. So it's very uh, it's very sticky here, these words. He's bold enough to recommend his lifestyle to those who are having trouble in this world, but certainly not going to burden anybody because of it. But it just seems a little different than the language that the church normally talks about when it's so, so uh, favorable towards marriage and marriage is good. Mm -hmm. So I have to admit, I was a little ADHD there while you were reading uh, just a moment ago, because I was actually reading uh, another portion of scripture that I felt connected to this. Um, how far down did you read? I I, I apologize for that. I, I oh, I just went to thirty-one, but we could, you know, it's all no, no, no. Game. That's no, that's that's what that's what I was kind of hoping because I didn't want to jump down to thirty-one because um, earlier I had also said that it seems like on the mind of Paul are and, and I mentioned the end times, you know that 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 you know really anticipating the coming back of Christ and just as you said, you know. All the different things that Jesus said were gonna, that were going to take place, it's like they were anticipating that too. But you get hints of that uh, from what he is saying, whenever he's saying in view of the present distress. And then in verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. Um, so he's, 
I, I feel there's an anticipation about the future, and that's why, you know, it would be best if you just didn't even worry about marrying at this point, and and so forth. Which is which is really kind of an interesting. Uh, it's like he's he's focusing on this end time when when this because he knows the present time is full of trouble, and it truly is full of trouble even to this very day. I mean, this is how we can connect with this text very easily. Um, but let me let me ask you this, Pastor. So when you were uh, romancing your wife and you were uh, getting ready to ask her the big question of marriage, um, I'm sure there were a lot of thoughts going in on in your head. Uh, as there are, as there were in my head, and one of the thoughts I had was, so when we marry, when I marry this woman, um, it's for life, and <laughs> I've only been with her for a short period of time. What would it be like to live with her all the time for the rest of my life? And and you, when you think of that, um, you can think of all the things that could be uh, a lot. Uh, a lot of, of challenge, of uh, stress. Uh, I think, uh, you know, any any man that that truly uh, really holds fast to the fact that when they marry, it's to follow what God's law says, and that is to 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 be married for a lifetime till death do us part. Um, there's all kinds of thoughts like that that go on in your head. So, uh, we even tend to do that ourselves. It's not just Paul. I mean, but even those of us who have gotten married have wrestled with this additional challenge, stress, and we know that it's going to be there if you're realistic about marriage, uh, but not everybody is. Some some people kind of float into it like, oh, this is going to be great living like this for the rest of our lives. But um, so, yeah, I, I just wanted to put that out there too. Yeah. No, I, I like that thought. As, as someone who does premarital counseling, as most pastors do, mm-hmm. you know, when I deal with new couples, especially if they're on the younger end, you know, I actually would challenge your thinking a little bit to say only to say that sometimes I don't think they're thinking about those things at all. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Uh, if, you, if you're realistic about it, that's what right. I'm saying. <laughs> and, and so they but they need to they need to contemplate what it's going to be like. So I think you definitely have folks who consider all those things right as they're about to ask the question or right after, and they start contemplating these things. And these tend to be the slightly more mature folks who have, you know, thought things out. And, and so exactly what you say, but I also have run into, and I'm sure you have too, the younger folks typically who they haven't thought of any of that. They just think it's going to be wedded bliss forever. Mm-hmm. And so typically one of the first questions I'll ask them is I will say, uh, tell me about your first fight together. <laughs> and I always find it somewhat amusing and it's somewhat just to my own amusement because sometimes they think that you want to hear, oh, we never fight. Oh, and, and, they, so, and, and they do say that. Yes. Oh, we never ha- we've never had a fight. I'm like, as, really? as if you're going to go, okay, good. Since you've never had a fight, then you're perfect for each other. <laughs> right. And so if they say that, I'll say, well, just come back when you've had, after you've had your first fight and then we'll talk. And then, <laughs> oh, oh, well, actually... And so that's when you get this opportunity to say, you know, the feelings that you have for one another, while wonderful, beautiful, and a gift from God, a lot of those are chemicals in your brain. <laughs> that's not going to last forever. So we have to build upon, uh, a marriage has to be built upon things that are going to last forever. First and foremost, Christ, but also very practical things like, you know, how are you going to take care of each other? 
What are you going to do when the other is in a disfiguring accident? You know, some of these things are thought exercises that are really important to see how seriously you've thought out what you're about to do. And yeah, so Paul is saying, and I don't think it's it's unreasonable to say it's a both and, that there are some bad things going on in Corinth, food shortages and other things. And he's connecting those to the reality that Christ will return soon. There's plenty who believe that Paul fully expected that in his lifetime. Just as honestly, we should always be expecting that in our lifetime. So with that under our, under our, uh, if we put that as our background to everything that's going on, then Paul, even though he's single, certainly isn't saying being married is terrible. You guys are suckers for getting married. You should all be like me. He's just being very practical and loving as a pastor who says, you are Christians who are struggling in a congregation with lots of problems. You're living in an era where famine is on the horizon. You are also seeking after these worldly things, which honestly, you know, you should be not concerned about at all. You need to be concerned about spiritual things. And finally, Christ is returning. So, you know what? Just be as you are and wait for, wait for Christ. Um, he doesn't preclude people improving their conditions. We talked about that last time. But yeah, I think that's what's going on here. And it's just, it's just interesting when we see this idea of don't seek a wife if you don't have one, when we certainly value marriage and we encourage people that if that's their calling to marry. But wouldn't you also agree, Pastor, or maybe you disagree, that the church sometimes puts a little too much emphasis on marriage and families? That is, we tend to neglect those who have been called to singlehood. And, right. and we've mm-hmm. not historically done a pretty bad job of ministering to those people, too. So while marriage isn't bad, you know, are we overlooking the fact that there are some people who are not called to it? And, and that's very that's very uh, perceptive um, because I, I agree. I, I think s- uh, sometimes um, we do not uh, do as, as good a job preaching and, and teaching concerning uh, the perspective of the uh those who remain single, but there is also a, a, a tie-in to those who remain single to marriage itself in the sense that they are expected to honor as well and not to intrude on it uh, in any way, you know, as to lead toward adultery. Um, so there's still a tie there even for the single folks to respect marriage and to respect those relationships and not uh, covet, you know. Uh, the wife or the husband, depending on who it is, and um, so it's yeah. There's a there's a lot there. Uh, that's for sure. I you know years years ago uh, I r- ran into this uh, video uh, with a pastor Mark Gunger. Uh, he actually has a video series card called "Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage," and uh, he used passages like this uh, in more of a good news Bible context, you know, (laughs) and he's standing in front of all of these couples who have come to this marriage seminar and he's saying, you know what? I can resolve any problem you have with just one verse in the Bible. And he shows the verse about it's best for a man not to marry. And then he goes on to say, because he who marries will have met many troubles. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, uh, and and of course he he gets the people laughing, but at the same time he he lets them know, 
your marriage is not going to be trouble free. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna have stress. You're gonna have some times that are challenging, and uh, it it's you know, expect that expect right. that it's gonna be part of this package. And Paul knows it. Paul, that's what I'm saying. Paul knows it. He's he's seen couples. He's seen families. He sees the extra stress it places on them. And whatever this present time distress, this present time. Uh, that's that's showing that the world's just passing away. It's it's on that basis that Paul is, as a Christian brother, you know, just trying to to help those who are going through the same thing he's going through. Why add to that by getting married? I think that's what he's that's what he's saying. Bottom line here, right? I mean, he's definitely not saying there aren't rewards and blessings in marriage, but just there is a yep. a, a fact that in marriage you're going to have trouble. And so if you're if you're struggling with your faith and you're struggling with the things of God, as people in this congregation are, he's saying, you know, you're going to heap upon those anxieties by then trying to lead a family also into right believing and faith. Yeah. And And so I. I, Yeah, I think I think we we, I just what I'm trying to make sure is we that the listeners understand that Paul is not anti-marriage. Right. And but at the same time, he's realistic about things. Right. Uh, I have uh, friends who are Catholic priests, and they are not married, <laughs> right, usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vast majority of them aren't. There actually are some married Catholic priests, but that's mm-hmm. a complete exception. But anyway, and I ask them, I say, you know, do you feel like ministry is easier, so to speak, because you're not married? You only have your congregation to be concerned about. And the honest truth is, in many ways, it is. You don't have to balance ministry with wives and children and all the things that come with it. On the other hand, the, even they can recognize that being married brings with it a ton of blessings to ministry too. And some of them see not being married either as a personal sacrifice or they themselves actually think that marriage would be good, beneficial. Now, that's a whole other argument, but the point is that's just a realistic thought that when you're married, there are other responsibilities you have to be concerned about, and Paul's just being honest about it. Right, right. And I, and I agree. I mean, you know, now you're getting into a whole nother area for us as pastors, because we we really are, in a sense, married to the ministry and the church here, where we, wherever we serve. And it's almost like having a second wife, which isn't too far-fetched when you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, where uh, Paul is actually uh, writing to the church at Ephesus, comparing uh, the relationship of Jesus to the church with that of a husband and wife. And, and, uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had several calls in my ministry and it feels like I'm, when I receive a call and I go to visit them and I'm, uh, listening to what the needs in the ministry are, where they're at, um, I almost feel like I'm cheating on my, <laughs> my congregation. Oh, sure. And then, you know, cause I love them both. I love them both because they're all part of the body of Christ. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think the, that the priests in the Catholic church, uh, go through some of the very same things with all, with all their parishioners in their care and their love, uh, for their members. And, uh, I can definitely see why they would see, why would you add a more stress and more, uh, more responsibility that only will pull you away from your love, the church, you know? Uh, into other areas where you can't give the church as much time as the church may need. 
I, I get that. And and it is a struggle. It's a struggle. So there's there's really there's pros and cons, I think, both ways, because at the same time, we as pastors who are married are able to relate very specifically to our congregational members who are married because we have gone through that experience. We know what that's about. We can make probably a lot more uh, connections to those who are married, which again, just as you suggested, kind of leaves the single people off to the side and we have to keep keep them in the focus as well. Well, Pastor, we're up against a break. So let's pause for just a few moments. Listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere because in just a few moments when we return, Pastor Dieterding and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians 7 because in the verses that we're going to cover when we get back, Paul's bringing out pretty clearly the context that we're already hinting at for his advice here. So we'll be back in just a few moments. We will see you on the other side. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor, before the break, we were in a pretty good conversation about you know what's going on here with Paul talking about don't get married if you're not and, and stay married if you are. Lots of context, though, I think we're missing because he also anticipates that they are maybe going to get the wrong idea. So starting with verse 32 through the rest of the chapter, he brings a little bit more uh, reasoning behind what he's saying. And so I'd like to get those texts on the table and then we'll just jump back in. So I'll be, I'll be reading from, again, the ESV, and this is going to be verses 32 eh, all the way through the end. Why not? Verse 40. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry, it's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. 
All right. So that's how he ends it. <laughs> you know, he's still he's still pitching pretty hard for the single life. He's very concerned about their condition because he loves them. But he makes it extremely clear the reasons why. Brother, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Let's uh, let's bring that into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a number of uh, reasoning. You hear a lot of reasoning and, and rationale of why uh, he's strongly pushing for people to really think about not marrying, and uh, and he's and you know this whole anxiety that he's talking about. He mentions several times, really. I mean, you you see it not only in verse thirty two that here's my ration, here's my rationale that that you would be free from anxieties. And then in verse 33, um, that you would be freed really about the anxiousness we have uh, about worldly things and how to how a man has to please his wife. And then in 34, and a woman that might be freed from anxiousness about worldly things and how to please her husband, um, because you know you're just adding more strain uh, and stress to your own life. I mean, that's what that's how he's seeing marriage in his life. Um, you know, he was given uh, a gift from the Lord to remain single so that he could be at the ministry continuously as a pastor, as a, as a, um, uh, an apostle, you know, constantly married to his work, literally, I mean, literally work for the work of the Lord. And, um, I think that's the way he sees, uh, all of us in, in the context of himself. And, uh, I do like though, that he does come back around and we're going to get there in a little bit, but he does come back around saying again, that by the way, don't hear what I'm not saying or hear what I'm not saying, because I, uh, I am not saying this, you know, that it's, that it's sinful or that it's wrong or anything of that, of that nature, but it's, uh, you know, it's going to have to be eventually where a man is in his heart, uh, in relationship to one who's unmarried, uh, you know, with him being unmarried as well, of course. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's an interesting conversation um, that he's having through this letter to the Christians there in Corinth. Well, and back to what we were saying before, you know, the man, the married man is anxious about worldly things. And I don't see this, and perhaps you might see it differently, but I don't see this as as Paul saying that Concern over worldly things is bad. Trying to please your wife is bad. But it's just, again, the reality. It's just a fact. It's not a judgment. You, If you're married, you have to take care of your wife. You have to take care of your children. You have to provide for all of them. You have to make sure their needs are met. You also have to make sure their spiritual needs are met. And the, mm-hmm. the men of this congregation in particular um, are having trouble with themselves. So why mm-hmm. add on to that? And the women are the same way, you know, and he, so he's certainly being egalitarian in the fact that this message is for both. Both of you um, have this duty to be loyal to Christ. And when you add in um, other people, then that just complicates things. And his concern is that they're free from those anxieties. The Lord would have us cast our anxieties upon him. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's not for everybody. You know, everybody cannot live that life or isn't called to live that life. If everyone in the church were to take Paul's advice here uh, from Corinth to Ephesus all the way up to Rome and beyond, then, well, we wouldn't be here because the church would not have grown. I mean, is the idea that only only unbelievers procreate and therefore the church dies out? 
you know, it, it wasn't too long ago that looking at the statistics, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod said, you know, uh, we need to grow the church. And so pastors head back to your congregations from convention here and, and tell them that they need to grow the church in the natural <laughs> manner. I remember I think that, that was, yeah. Yeah, I think that was like 2010 or something. <laughs> Um, I did my due duty. I went and told my <laughs> congregation that they needed to get busy, literally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these are mostly retired folks. They thought that was fairly humorous. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, but there is something to that, right? So we have the the Roman Catholic, it seems almost like a cliche for them to have lots of kids. Mm-hmm. But that's not a Roman Catholic thing. That's a Christian thing. Christians typically have a lot of children, a lot of people to bring into the Lord. But Paul is in a different place in time. He's, he's dealing with some severe issues in a congregation, a, a world that is so heavily against the Christian v- worldview and way of life. It, he's dealing with people who are struggling to raise their children in accordance with the, the ways that God wants them to be raised. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Now, actually, maybe he's not living in a different time. That sounds exactly like today. Mm-hmm. So what I really like about 1 Corinthians as a whole is it's so practical. It's not just, oh, this is a curiosity of how this little congregation or these people and these Christians that were gathered in Corinth acted. It's so applicable to the world today. And there are so many people right now who may be, who may be anxious about the things of the world. And you began us in prayer with this very same thought that are like, yeah, I guess I don't want to add to that with marriage. But we would plead for them to do otherwise, I think. We would say, trust in the Lord, bring the kids in to, to the, and trust that the Lord will, will bless them. So it's, it is. It's, it's tough to chew on. We have to think of it both in its context and also how it applies today. And, and that's just what makes it a difficult text. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, th- I think we, gotta be, we, also, we also need to remember uh, the entire context, especially of this whole section in chapter 7, because uh, there's already been conversation um, prior to this in uh, on another show where you're, you're t- you were talking about the principles for marriage, and that's how Paul actually starts this chapter. He's laying it out. You know, he just right from the get go, he says, "Well, it's good good for 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 a man not to even have sexual relations for with a woman." And here's why: uh, because of temptation to sexual immorality. Because you can't devote as much time to your prayer life together. And when you do, if you have a lack of self-control and he goes on and on and on, and then he gets into the whole area of divorce. Oh, by the way, this, there, there could be another issue may, you might have to face too once you're married and that's divorce. And then he goes through all of that. So he sees a lot of trouble in marriage. <laughs> so, so from his perspective, it's fully understood why he finally gets into, you know, verses 25 and on to really start to push, you know, with all these things I just laid out to you, you may want to really take that to heart. And it probably would be best. You just don't even get married. And he knows what that's about because he's, he himself remains single. Um, and part of that argument was to devote ourselves to prayer, to the Lord, you know, now we, now we're putting a lot of time into this institution of marriage and maybe children and so forth and so on. So, cause his heart, it was, it was always full blast to serving the Lord, uh, and focusing on that every day. And if you, if you're married, you're going to be worried about all different kinds of worldly, uh, struggles and, and, and problems that are coming along in life. So I'm just saying, even within the context of this entire chapter, uh, 
it's very understandable why, why Paul is pushing this. He seems very concerned with the, well, as it says here, the present or impending distress. And you're right. The whole chapter is devoted to making sure people understand that while sexual activity within the confines of marriage is blessed by God, and they shouldn't be, you know, tossing around things like, oh, well, I guess it's best just to avoid it altogether. He actually says, well, maybe, but if you can't, you should do these things within the confines of marriage because that's how God has blessed this activity. But he's very realistic about what's going on. With that said, and I want to just make it crystal clear for any listeners who might be confused, this is not a burden. Paul himself says that he's not burdening our anyone's conscience on this. This is merely his advice, particularly for these Corinthians in their context, and generally for anyone who faces the troubles of this life. If you are someone who is uncertain in your faith, even today, someone who is uncertain about the future, who struggles with making a living, who, you know, for a variety of reasons is in a situation where trying to raise uh, children and bring a, a woman into your, or a man, I guess it should go both ways. If this isn't conducive to good behavior, yeah, then, then Paul says, just think about it even today. But it's definitely not a command that says, you know, thou shalt not get married. That's inconsistent with God's design for how the world works and how his church grows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, he's, again, he's, he's, he's trying to let people know, please don't hear what I'm not saying. And he does that really with verses 36 to 38. He does that very well, you know, because he says, you know, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it is, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. He does come back around to that. And he says that all the way through there, uh, even through up to th through verse 38, when he says, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. He's not saying they're not going to do well and it's not okay. He's trying to say, here's what I am actually saying. It would be better not to marry. And he's not saying uh, you absolutely shouldn't be married and uh, that it's contrary to the will of God or because that would be uh, completely the opposite of what God gave to those of us who are married, we know, as a, as a wonderful gift. Yes. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Mm -hmm. What do you think he's talking about there specifically, though, when he says, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly, uh, is this about you know, perhaps uncontrollable advances towards his betrothed, not being able to wait toward marriage or rather two single people being um, amorous in ways that should probably be reserved for the marriage bed. Is that what he's talking about or maybe something different? What are you, what's your take? Yeah, I'll go with point two. I think you, I think you described that very well. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, we know, we know those of us who have uh, romanced our, our brides know that there was a point where um, the passion does come on, especially if there's an attraction there physically. And uh, we know that God's given us, of course, that as a gift uh, to be followed up and followed through on in marriage. And then that's why he says at the, at the close of that uh, sentence, let them marry. It is no sin. Uh, you know, this is hard. I don't know, I don't know about how you teach this in, uh, in your confirmation class, because we do 
get get around. We get on these matters of marriage, of course, under uh, under the sixth commandment, uh, and of course, there we talk about you know what adultery is and uh, inappropriate sexual relations and so forth. And among those is the passion that builds between two people. Uh, that that if that becomes the central focus, of course, that could be that that can become the very that can become very dangerous because then you're completely blind to the other person, whether or not uh, you two are truly uh, entering into this relationship uh, on your faith, on Christ, and, and recognizing God and his gift of this institution. Um, so he's basically saying, you're getting to that point, it's, it's, it's time to marry. You know, it's, it's better that you would then marry at that point. And uh, this is not a sin. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important whenever we're considering or, you know, counseling young people or older people who are in a situation where they are unmarried. There is a reality that you are biologically built with these impulses. God has gifted these things to you. They are a blessing. Therefore, they are for bringing in children and then clinging to those children and raising them. They're biological processes, but they're all gifts from God. But God has also given us, gifted us with marriage as the proper context in which to bring to which to both enjoy a wife or a husband and also to bring in children. Mm-hmm. So I think Paul certainly understands that, but he also understands that, you know, there is these there are these temptations. And just as you could be concerned and anxious about worldly things as a married person. Single people aren't just automatically free from the anxious uh, anxieties of the world or or anything else. They could be struggling with their own temptations, mm-hmm. their own uh, lustful desires. They could be struggling with a whole variety of things, even even self promotion, self uh, self building. You know, this idea that I want to be the best self myself that I can be. Mm-hmm. Things that Paul has already spoken against. Things that the Corinthians were very interested in: power and prestige and other things. So they're very uh, worldly oriented in general, and there are there are struggles on both sides, whether you're married or unmarried. And right. so one is sometimes the solution to the other. If you are unmarried, then perhaps the the best thing for you is to remain unmarried. But if you are unmarried and you have all these struggles, then seek after a wife. But as you so rightly put it, and as we should be teaching our children, you don't just I think it's the. It is in the marriage liturgy, the holy matrimony, where it says, you know, that marriages should not be, uh, you know, done irreverently or out of lust, but for all of these good reasons. I don't remember them exactly. I just, mm-hmm. I just spoke them like a week ago. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, yeah, we, 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 marriage is a blessing, but it also has to be done in the right context. You, as, as a sacramental thing, not a sacrament, but a sacramental thing, a gift from God. We don't want to misuse it either. And Paul's pretty clear about that here. Right. And he was, and he's been dealing with it all the way through this chapter as well. Yeah, absolutely. So these last verses, starting with 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. It's sort of a callback to the beginning of this chapter. In verse two of chapter seven, he says, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Just a statement of fact, a statement of how things are. He repeats that, that she's bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes. 
But then he adds the caveat, only in the Lord. Uh, mm. What does he mean by only in the Lord? I have an idea, but I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he means, I don't think he's going as far as to say that she can be married to whom she wishes um, only in the Lord. In other words, that she only needs to be in the Lord, uh, but mm. rather she needs to remain faithful to God in this judgment, uh, in, in, this, in this decision that she makes, that she wants to be married again. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've, I've watched uh, a number of women that struggle with, you know, wow, I didn't think I'd ever be interested in somebody again. And pastor, now I, I have feelings for this person, this, this other, uh, this other man, you know, and then trying to help. I don't know if you've had to do that. Right? I've done that for a number of people, not men so much, but women who are struggling with that because they, they feel like, you know what? I love my, my husband who died uh, for so many years and really never felt that I would ever fall in love again. And now I feel that's happened and they do grapple with some of those feelings. And, and I say, just keep, keep bringing it to the Lord in prayer. Um, you know, the Lord will continue to lead you to, to know if, if this is something for your life and, uh, you know, just be paying attention to all the things that are happening around you in your life to see, uh, if and how the Lord may be answering that. That's about the only advice I can give, which is, Staying in the Lord, keep keep the Lord, you know, keep your focus there, and uh, it should all be revealed. I think that's but, really good advice because when we think about being married, married till death do you part, even at upon death of the spouse, which is typically the man first, you know, that's probably no mm -hmm. different in the first century than it is today. So, you know, we, uh, most of our homebound folks and more seasoned folks are ladies who have lost their husbands sometimes 10, 20 years prior, uh, more sometimes. Mm -hmm. Then you think, well, you know, they were bound together and they're going to be husbands and wives in eternity, which is sort of an American thought. Jesus has, says otherwise. So I shouldn't ever marry again. And so whether or not that's what Paul had in mind in the moment today, it certainly is good advice. That yeah, you can remarry. That's not a sin, you know. You can also remarry and still honor and love your first husband. Those things are not sinful, especially in the context of the first century. When if she remained unmarried, then she might have difficulty taking care of herself. And in today's context, it's not completely un undifferent. You know, people, uh, single people, sometimes on their own. Uh, uh, one having one job or one income and these other things, they they need the assistance of another. It's a, one of the reasons why God brings us together. But at the same time, only in the Lord most certainly means, uh, at least in part, that you should be doing these things according to God's will, right? So don't go off and and you know I've just told you all the proper ways that one should enter into marriage or even stay out of marriage. So if you're going to get remarried, do it for the right reasons. Do it as the Lord would want you to do. There is a reference in my Bible that sends us to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, and that is where Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has, righteous, has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has uh, with... Uh, or what fellowship light has with darkness. Sorry for that fumbling. 
So the idea maybe is that he's saying if you're going to get married, make sure you marry other Christians. What do you think about that? I mean, we certainly encourage that today. Yeah, but he also talks about those who have married those who are not of the faith as well. I mean, he does deal with both. But but the the question is, um, yeah, that that that's always tough because I I do get that, and I know you do too, and I know other pastors out there get it, and and families also where uh, not only are they marrying somebody of uh, no faith, they're marrying people of other faiths and other gods. Um, those relationships are very confusing for me, um, and maybe they are for you as well because. Um, I voice, I always was under the uh, understanding through what I was taught from my own father, who was a pastor, that uh, uh, the marriage would be stronger if you base that marriage upon the foundation of a faith in Christ Jesus. So uh, that's, that's something I always talk to uh, the young people about, too, in the class. Um, I said there may be different ways in which uh, people understand Christ and so forth, but I, I really honestly believe that the, the closer you are in your faith and your faith walk with the one that you marry, uh, at least the foundation is there. Whether or not uh, it would, you know, you're you're going to be uh, in a situation where you fall into temptation, you know, that nothing's ever guaranteed, but at least you're on the right uh, foundation when you're on. On, in faith in Christ Jesus. I completely agree. I'd actually go a step further. You know, I would be hesitant, if not flat out not, marry people who were not both at least Christians. We yeah. struggle with, you know, different flavors or traditions or tribes of Christian faith, and that is enough of a struggle. But to enter into a relationship willingly with an unbeliever you know, I think the only argument I've ever heard when I ask, well, why is that a good idea? Besides, you know, true love and all that is, well, you know, then then she or he can bring them perhaps into the faith. And I don't think that marriage is a good evangelism no, program. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard, now I've heard the same argument. I've not. Yeah, I've not. Don't don't get the wrong impression. I'm just talking about people who have done this, who've made that decision. I don't either. I only marry those. Uh, who have a relationship with Christ, or who have a potential at least uh, to um, who have not completely disbelieved it, uh, but have that potential. Uh, you know, I I do lean toward that, but yeah, it's not an evangelism tool at all. Uh, this is not something you want to do as uh, to promote outreach in your church. Well, yeah. well, it's it's not completely unlike when um, you're trying to get new people on various boards and they say, well, we haven't seen Joe Schmo in a while. Let's put him on the board of trustees. It's like, no, that's not, our boards are not a trust, are not an evangelism program. Right. Well, but there's also, we have to acknowledge the reality that people often might say they're Christian and are not, or may walk away from the faith after marriage. And so Paul's argument there would, would not be, well, you can't be unequally yoked. So therefore, leave them. That's certainly not the case either. So God certainly does his work within marriage to bring people to faith. So also don't misunderstand me, any dear listeners. But yeah, it's 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 hard to navigate. These things are are complicated. And the inspired words of Paul here are actually pretty helpful when we consider them according to their context. Uh, brother, we are here at the end. Just the last verse, 
in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. He's still clear this isn't a command from God, but rather his judgment, his advice. And then I like this, though. He says, and I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. Speaking to a bunch of Corinthians who he claims are uh, consider themselves pretty spiritual, he trumps them with this, I think, kind of sarcastic, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm an apostle called by God, giving you a message from God. Yes, this is just my advice, but you guys think you're pretty smart. But, you know, I I, I might know a thing or two also. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think that I, too, have, have the spirit of God. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. I, it's, it's a great is a great way to end this this section before he gets into the uh, the topic of food that's offered to idols as the next. That's, yeah, that's right. That so into. tomorrow uh, we'll be dealing with Bale Burgers and Pagan Paninis. So be <laughs> sure to tune in for that. But we're in the last couple of minutes of the episode here, brother. As always, I'd just like to give you just a couple of minutes to uh, give a message of gospel to our listeners. Maybe something they can share with their neighbors. Yeah, I, I mean, when you're a married couple and you both uh, have the foundation of faith in Christ Jesus, you actually, together in that marriage, can be uh, quite the example to those around you, your neighbors, your friends, even in your family, uh, to uh, you know show Christ in what you say and what you do with not just each other, but as a, as a husband and wife together. And uh, how you honor uh, this institution of marriage, which God gives to those who are married as a gift and uh, to be honored and respected. And that should be honored and respected by all. And uh, so there's a, there's a lot that we can show uh, about our faith, our relationship with Christ, who calls himself, you know, um, the husband of the church, his bride, uh, which is all of us. So. Yeah, I think I think that's really uh, the bottom line here that that we want to make sure that we understand. Paul's not saying you can't get married, but he's saying to us that uh, marriage is is okay. It's a good thing, uh, but be aware there's going to be challenges. But we also, those of us who are married and truly love the Lord, know that uh, it can also be an example as well uh, to others. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. It's always a joy. Thank you, Pastor Boo. Thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue in 1 Corinthians with chapter 8. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray together. Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word. Word.